It's good to see all of you today. It's been a good day here so far, and I pray that it will continue for the remainder of the service. I would remind you that this is our Commitment Sunday. This is not the only time that you can make a financial commitment to the church. Of course, we'll keep it open for a few more weeks, and any time really is not a bad time. But today, the cards, you should have received one either in the mail or there's one in your bulletin. And there's a place for you to check, and you can keep part of this for yourself. And then if you'll do the tear-off and uh, give us the other information during the closing hymn, we'll ask you to come forward and to spend a moment in prayer, if you like, standing or kneeling, and leave your card on the rail. And as you leave a card on the rail, we encourage you to take one of the coffee mugs with the Noonan First United Methodist Church symbol on there. If you don't use it, if you're not a coffee drinker, pass it on to someone who is. And maybe that symbol, that publicity will do some good we don't even know about. So they're on the rail. There are a couple more boxes on the front pew. Be sure you pick one up when you leave your card with us. And thank you for prayerfully considering that uh, on this day. This afternoon is our charge conference. This has been changing over the years. Uh, You remember the day when the district superintendent would come around to every church in the fall and spend some time with us. And then we clustered up in smaller groups. And now we're doing this in two sessions, one last week, last Sunday in LaGrange. And for our church and others, this Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock today, at the Providence United Methodist Church in Fayetteville, and the directions are the, not the directions, the address is in the bulletin. And I encourage any of you who can to come and, and spend some time with us this afternoon from 3 to 5. We'll have an excellent preacher there, Dr. David Nagley. He was the superintendent of this district for a while. And some of you may remember his father who taught religion at LaGrange College for many years. So uh, come and spend some time with us this afternoon. I would love to see you there. We continue now our stewardship emphasis today being the third Sunday as a part of this. And our scripture lesson for today, we're going back to the book of 1 Timothy. Actually, there are other scripture lessons. I will point those out and we'll read them as we go. But let's begin with 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verse 17. As for those who in the present age are rich... Command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Two weeks ago, we began this series. We've been using a book called Enough by Adam Hamilton, pastor of the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas. And uh, it's been a good guide for us, I think. The scripture always is our foundation, but this book's been a good guide to help us with some of this material Two weeks ago, we talked about when dreams become nightmares and used a passage from Luke about what happened to the guy who had accumulated so much stuff. He had to build bigger barns. He had to rent out larger storage facilities. And that night, his soul was required of him. And who would all that stuff belong to? And last week, we talked about cultivating contentment, the passage 
For we brought nothing, godliness and contentment are great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we shall take nothing out of it. But today, Commitment Sunday, defined by generosity. And we're going to look at a couple of G words today, giving and, and generosity. Generosity, giving, in many ways, goes against the grain of what we experience in our culture. It's a very different message from what many folks are receiving. In his book, Journey to the Center of the Faith, Jim Harnish, and uh, some of you may have known of him, he was at the Hyde Memorial Church in Hyde Park, is it? It's in Tampa, and it was a large church. He served for years. He's a great writer. He wrote that book, Journey to the Center of the Faith, and in that book there is a, a chapter on generous living. And in that chapter he talks about the great Old Testament hero, King David, and especially that reference in the book of Chronicles, First Chronicles 29, beginning with verse 10. And um, some of you may be familiar with these words, but hear them again in context of our giving and our life of faith. First Chronicles 29 And we're going to begin reading with verse 10. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to make this free will offering? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are aliens and transients before you, as were all our ancestors. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house, for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you search the heart and take pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Our ancestors, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to my son Solomon that with single mind he may keep your commandments, your decrees, and your statutes, performing all of them, and that he may build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to the whole assembly, Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. On the next day they offered sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs with their libations and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great joy. Such a celebration of giving. Jim Harnish says that these words from King David are nothing less than a frontal assault on the most widely accepted and fiercely held assumptions in our day and in our culture. They describe a way of living that is a radically different alternate lifestyle to what he calls, and he wrote these words just a few years ago, 
he talked about folks being mall addicted and malls are not such a big deal anymore. So I changed his words a little bit to the lifestyle of the Amazon addicted, money adoring, me oriented society around us. And although these words were spoken centuries before the birth of Jesus, if we take them seriously, we realize that by living in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, these words become reality for us. A fundamental rethinking of the central priorities of existence. The glory of God, how it all comes from God, how it's an honor and a gift to the things of God. And the challenge in those words goes to the center of our being. And there's a promise there of great joy, great hope. William Sloan Coffin, and we quoted him just a couple of weeks ago. He wrote that hymn in our hymnal that I love so much, God of grace and God of glory. He said, we must break with a culture that's gone bananas over money. In a deeply religious matter, he said. Richard Foster, and some of you are familiar with his book about the spiritual disciplines that came out Goodness, several years ago, and every few years he revises it and republishes it. It's one of the classics. And in that book he said, Compulsive extravagance is a modern mania. The contemporary lust for more, more, more is clearly psychotic. It has completely lost touch with reality. But even though giving can be a counterculture sort of thing, I believe that we are called by the church to be effective and individually and collectively to be generous givers in every phase of our life, every area, all we have to offer. And the first step may be the most difficult, turning loose, letting go of some things. I first heard this woman preach, oh goodness, 30, 35 years ago. Made quite an impression on me. Some of you may be familiar with her. Her effectiveness as a preacher and a teacher has only increased over the years. She's taught on the college and seminary levels, has written some amazing books that I could commend to you and would. Dr. Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopal priest, and she's done some amazing things during her ministry, served a local church as well as these other things. And let me share with you just this brief excerpt from one of her sermons about turning loose and and letting go and giving. God does not care, she said, whether I am happy or not. And that first line sort of got my attention. What God cares about with all the power of God's holy being is the quality of my life. Not just the continuation of my breath and the health of my cells, but the quality of my life, the scope of my life, the heft and zest of my life. Fear of death, she says, always turns into fear of life, into a stingy, cautious way of living that is really not living at all. To follow Jesus means going beyond the limits of our own comfort and safety. It means receiving our lives as gifts instead of guarding them as possessions. And I hope you'll hang on to that phrase. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remind myself of that, that our lives are gifts, and they're not possessions. Do we see our lives as gift or possession? Are the the majority of our efforts spent trying to guard, to protect, to maintain, to hold on to what we already have? Or are we always looking for opportunities to give more of who we are, more of those things that we're stewards of, our resources, our stuff, more importantly, ourselves for the sake of others? Letting go 
giving wholeheartedly, but we want to hang on to it. Former baseball catcher Joe Garagiola, and some of you remember him, he was a character. He was, he was a bird, and he tells that story about a critical game, a critical moment in a game against the St. Louis Cardinals when um, Stan Musial came to the plate, and some of you may remember Stan Musial, what an incredible baseball player he was. He was at the peak of his career. He could hit most anything that was thrown to him out of the park, and the pitcher was nervous. Garagiola called for a fastball. The pitcher shook his head. He called for a curveball, and the pitcher shook his head. And he went through the whole repertoire of that pitcher's pitches, and the pitcher kept shaking him off. And so Garagiola got up from behind the plate, and he marched out to the mound, and he said, what's going on? Everything I call, you shake your head. What is the problem? What do you want to throw? And the pitcher replied, nothing. I just want to hold on to this thing for as long as I can. Jim Harness said, the world conditions me to hold on to everything my wallet represents as long and as tightly as I can. Hoard it, save it, protect it at all cost. The irony says, when I act as if I own all this stuff, then this stuff begins to possess me and take hold of me and ownership of me. The more I am committed to these things, the more these things are committed to, to taking over my life. And I invest so much to protect them, to enhance them, to serve them. Think of the old Bob Dylan song some of you are familiar with. You remember the song, You Gotta Serve Somebody? Pretty soon my possessions began to take possession of me. He said, I'm generally skeptical about most of what I hear people say about demons. And when he started writing about demons, that sent me back to my student pastor days, a little church called Poseyville on the Waco circuit. And... I was 23 years old. I didn't have a clue. They asked me to teach the adult Sunday school class, and I said, well, I guess so. They said the chapter that's coming up is about demons, and we don't want to do it. So <laughs> I said, all righty then. We'll, uh, so I told them what I knew about demons, and then for the next 59 minutes of that hour, I tried to asked some questions that I hope would start some conversation. They didn't have a lot to say either because apparently they didn't know any more about demons than I do. But when we talk about demons, Harness said, I've become convinced that there's something profoundly demonic about the way young adults, long before they have a stable income, are lured into this bottomless pit of high-interest debt. And if you've been reading the stewardship book along with us, you, you've read much about this. There's demonic power in the way our children, he said, are conditioned to believe that they ought to have whatever they want right now. The instant they want it, without regard to when or how, will be paid for. In this culture, he said, the most common form of demonic possession is the way our possessions take possession of us. I believe that it's only by the grace of God that we can be set free and the demonic can be cast down. I believe it's in the life of Jesus where we see this freedom lived out. Billy Graham once said, we are not cisterns made for hoarding. 
We are channels made for giving. And I've talked with you about this before. The reason the Dead Sea died is pretty obvious. There's no outlet. It just takes and takes and takes from the Jordan River and that comes through the Sea of Galilee and nowhere for it to go. And so it had nowhere to give and it died. Why should we turn it loose? Why should we give? Why should we give our best? Why is this G word, these G words, generosity and giving, so foundational to who we are and what we are about in this world as God's church and, and God's people? Let me suggest for our prayerful consideration that the answer to all of these whys is found in the heart of the best-known passage in the Bible for many folks, certainly for Christians in the New Testament, John 3.16, for God so loved, God gave. God loved and God gave. That's the why of it all. Why should we turn it loose? Because it'll take over if we let it hang around too long. (laughs) Money, stuff, energy, time, all of those things make tremendous servants. But before we allow any of those things to become our masters, we need to do a background check and realize that they're terrible masters. So enough said now about letting go, but why should we give back to that for a moment? Same reason that God gave and God still gives because God loves. God loves. That's the the power of it all. God loves. And love, when we use that word, and we use it a lot, we use it in church a lot. We need to stop sometimes and say, love is more than some sweet, sappy, surfy, sentimental saying that we put on a bumper sticker or a refrigerator magnet or a brief Facebook post. It's more than that. It's a verb. Sometimes it acts in partnership with like, with liking things or liking somebody, but it doesn't have to. Love is a verb that can stand on its own two feet and embrace and reach out with its own two arms and make a difference. As followers of the Christ and together as the body of Christ, we are called to love in thought, word, and deed with all that we have, our energy, our time, our resources. We're called to love the world that God created and will always love. We're called to give beyond what is reasonable and logical and fiscally prudent sometimes so that we can make a difference in those dark, harsh corners of the world where folks are dying and suffering and are without the good news of Christ and those, somebody has called them those hell holes are all over this globe. Do the kingdom math and see what is possible for one who follows Jesus, for whom nothing is impossible. Kingdom math. And for me to speak about mathematics is is really pretty funny. But let me talk about kingdom math for just a minute. 5,000 plus hungry folks, two little fish, five small loaves of bread equals All these folks fed and 12 baskets of leftovers. That's the kind of kingdom math that I'm talking about at this place. And also, I can't, the story of the poor widow, it just won't go away. It just kind of follows me around and bothers me sometimes. These other folks came and put their money in the temple treasury box, a lot of money, big checks. And she came along with two little coins And the literal translation of the passage is money she had set aside for her next meal. 
And she put those in the box. And you know who was watching the box? And you know what Jesus said about that incredible woman of faith? Why should we give our best? Because God gave the best and the most valuable that God had to offer. God gave the gift of an only son. There is a question that's sort of afloat in the atmosphere. And it's been around for a while. And it shows up in church from time to time. It's like a virus. A question that should never form on the lips of God's people. But it does. It comes back from time to time. Allow me to speak that question that we might be able to recognize it without having to take hold of it and put it under a microscope. The question, the virus-related question is this. What's the least acceptable amount that we can give? So there, I've said it. I feel like I need to go to the priest for cleansing so that this heresy virus does not attach itself to me and I become a welcoming host. Keeping this in mind, one more passage of scripture. This one, just a few verses. It's one I hadn't thought about in a long time until this past week. It's from 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25. Let me read it and say a quick word about it, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded when Aaronah looked down, he saw the king and his servant coming toward him. And Aaronah went out and prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Aaronah said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aaronah said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, are now gifts, gifts to the king. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Arnau said to the king, may the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Arnau, no, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. So the Lord answered his supplication in the land and the plague was averted from the land. The threshing floor of Arunah, some of you may remember that that's the site where Solomon's temple was built later on. Arunah offered the threshing floor he offered the oxen for sacrifice to King David for free. King David's reply to Arana, no, but I will buy them from you for a price. And then maybe some of the most significant words that King David ever spoke. I will not offer offerings to the Lord that have cost me nothing. Why is this giving generous? Why are those words so foundational to who we are and to what we're up to as God's people in this world? Could it be, as Acts 20, 
verse 35 suggests that it really is more blessed to give than receive. I know we say that sometimes sort of, sort of jokingly. And could it be that the more we give, the more we are blessed? And could it be that the more we're blessed, the more we are able to bless and make a difference in God's church and in this community and in God's world? God loves so much that God gave. Could it be that we can make that kind of a difference? Could be. Amen.